You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. The real big story here is a continuation of the whole story that this God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the living God, will always deliver his people, and one day he will ultimately deliver his people. He will be the Savior. He will be the champion. And he himself will be the hero. This is the story. Let's look at it this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse number 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shokoth, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shokoth and Azekah and East Detroit. I'm kind of saying you could say it any way you want to. That's the way I choose to pronounce it this morning. F.S. Damim. All right? Still a bad place. Okay? Does your Bible say that? I was just wondering, is that on the... No, okay. All right. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. Verse number four. And there went out a champion out of the camp. Interesting word. The word literally means the man of the between. And so... The writer, he gives us this picture, and there are two armies, each on a hill. There's a valley between, and this champion, this man from the between, the one who goes out between the lines, between the Philistines and Israel, he sets himself apart. He is in between. He is in no man's land. He is the champion of the Philistines. He comes out from the front lines. And now the Bible is going to give us his description it says in, in verse number 4, this champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, and Goliath whose height was six cubits and a span. Now listen to me. We're going to go through this description, and there are a couple thoughts that the writer wants to convey, and, and we're going to see the first one right away. It says that Goliath was, uh, the cubits there are, Six cubits in a span. And, and that may not mean anything to us, but I want to I illustrate to you so that you get the picture of what we're seeing here, what this looks like. Um, David, would you come here? Since your name is David, we're going to use you, okay? Um, the average height of a, of a man during Bible times was 5'5". Five five. That was the average height. So when the Bible says Saul was head and shoulders over the rest of the people, you know, he could have been 6'2", six 6'3", six maybe 6'5". David here... Not the Bible, David. This David, all right, is five. With this, it's five six. But without this, <laughs> maybe five three or four. So, so he is he is already taller than the average man during Bible times during this this time. Okay. Now, to put this in perspective, and, and I want you to see this because because sometimes we read the story, we don't understand the magnitude of what the the writer is saying here. This is the average soldier in Israel's army. Now. Shaquille O'Neal. Dave, come on down this way so we can just see this. You know Shaq, the big basketball player Shaq? 
You know how tall he is? Seven one. He's here. This is how tall Shaquille O'Neal. He's seven foot one. Okay, so right away. Hey, look at that three balls. Yeah. Now, to get to Goliath's height, all right. Don't. This is just a prop. I know it's ugly, but it's all I could find. Goliath's height is me standing on this. This is about nine foot and a half. Now I want you to visualize this. This is probably, other than Saul, the tallest man in the army of Israel. You will understand why their hearts were filled with fear. Thank you, David. I'll call on you a little bit, okay? Just to give you a warning. And then he describes his armor. Verse number 5. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And again, you may understand that it's 126 pounds. Okay. That's the, the mail on him, the, the, the armament on him. Just that, 126 pounds. So you understand, he's not just some tall, lanky guy. He is a brute. He's like Andre the Giant, right? He is huge. He goes on to say this. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, verse 7. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And, and again, the idea of the spear head, just the head of the spear, was 15 pounds. And that's not a big deal. It is a big deal to be launching 15 pounds on a spear the size of a weaver's beam, okay? And so he gives this description, and, and there are two reasons for this. The first is because the writer wants you to know that this man is colossal. He is menacing. And the description is given that, that he is impenetrable. He's indestructible. This is a Philistine on steroids. For real. And not only that, the reason for the description is because, and this is why it's so important for us to read the Bible, all of it. Because just back in chapter 16, verse number 7, you remember what God said to Samuel? He said, Samuel, I know you see Eliab, and he looks really good and big and strong, and he might be the next king, but you're seeing like man sees, you know how God sees. And God says specifically, don't look on his the countenance or the height of his stature. That's how man sees, but God doesn't see that way. God looks on the heart. And so right away we're clued in that, wait a minute, the way that Israel sees Goliath and the way the writer pens it here is that, yes, he's colossal, but for God's people, we are not to just look on the outside because that's not how God sees. God sees the real deal. And so he continues now in verse number 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set the battle in array? Am not I Philistine? And ye servants of Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me, chuckle, chuckle under his breath, and to kill me, not going to happen as far as he's concerned. Then will we be your servants, but if I prevail against him and 
kill him. Then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Now, something very interesting here. Um, Goliath is making this challenge. He's the man in between. He's, he's out in the front line. And he's saying, listen, choose out a man that he can come and fight for me. Can I tell you something? Israel has already done this. A matter of fact, they use the same phrase when they choose a king and his name is Saul. And do you remember why they wanted a king? They wanted someone that they could see and touch tangible who would specifically go out and fight for them. When Goliath shouts at this moment, give me a man, choose out a man. Israel had already done that. That was Saul's job. And yet you're going to see, once again, that Saul doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Something to think about this morning. The, the reason Israel chose a king and wanted a king is because they wanted something tangible. They, they wanted something secure. They wanted someone they could see and touch to go out before them and deliver them. Here's the problem with that. We know this. We've, we've been going through now. We're in first century. Now we start from the beginning. We have seen time and time again the God of heaven delivered them over and over and over again. But that wasn't enough. They wanted to see somebody. They wanted to touch me. They wanted some kind of suit to know that this is the king. This is our king. This is our guy. This is our champion. And they were looking for security. They were looking for stability in a man. Can I tell you something this morning? It will never happen. For many of us today, we are looking for the same thing. You want security in your life. You want something static. You want something to say, yeah, this is right. This job, this relationship, this person, they are the ones that will make me secure. They're the ones that, that I can find real stability in. Here's the problem with that. They're human. And the only thing in this world that is static, the only thing in this world that does not change, the only thing that is everlasting is our God. That's it. That's it. And so, you're going to keep up coming up dry over again because you're looking for security in the wrong places. You will never, ever find it. And if you think you find it, it will not last. It cannot last. Verse number 10 and the Philistines said, I defy, and the word defy is very strong. It means to mock or to ridicule. And, and he is doing a good job here. He is mocking. Choose out a man. Come on, bring it on. I'm here. Let's do this. Are you ready to rumble kind of deal? He mocks them. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And watch what happens now. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And we find here Goliath, he's mocking not only Israel, who do you think you are, but understand this, in the ancient Near East, right, gods were like territorial. And so the gods of the Philistines, you know, we have Dagon that we worship, others worship Molech, Astroth, and Israel, gods, their God was Yahweh. And so, not only is he mocking Israel's army, but in essence, he's mocking the living God. And you'll see this played out in just a few minutes. And Israel, when they see this, they're terrified. And, and isn't it justifiable? Honestly, think about it. Here's a guy. Nine and a half feet. And he's 
he's mocking us. Come on, let's go. Give me one minute. It is terrifying. If this was a musical, which it's not, but if it was, th- this would be really intense. It would be like, you know, we can, it, it, we're heading towards something really big here, and the writer's got us all on the edge of our seat, and it's like, this is crazy. And, and you hear, man, this score will be fast and, and furious, and we're, we're, we're leading up to this clash. But watch what he does. It's almost as if he senses we need a little bit of a break here, because we've we got this Goliath, this giant we're dealing with. Look at verse number 12. And David was the son of that Ephraimite, of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. If this was a musical score, we'd hear flute music now. This would be like elevator music happening, just to calm everybody down, right? We were all tense about this, and just he interjects this deal about, oh, here's this little kid David, right? And so the flute music begins, and now we are introduced to David. Verse number 13. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to the battle, we've met them already. Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him, Abinadab, and then third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And again, we're introduced to David here. And, and there's just something interesting to know, and this is, again, knowing the story, knowing the text. They introduced David as the youngest son of an old man. Have we not heard that phrase before in Samuel? Old men and their children have not fared well. Remember Eli? His kids were rotten. Remember Samuel himself, prophet of God, lost his kids. And now we're introduced to David, whose dad's old as well, and we're not sure what's going to happen here. Now we know the story, but, but here's the introduction. Here's David. Verse number 16. Now, the writer is interesting. He, he doesn't want to forget what's happening. The flute music was playing, but now we have electric guitars in verse number 16, all right? Verse number 16 says, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. He doesn't want us to forget the tension here, all right? Flute music is done. Electric guitars are playing. Goliath is still a problem. Don't forget about him. We're going to get back to him. Verse number 17, flute music again. I wish I would have thought enough to play. This would have been really good to play the flute music to understand what's happening here. Verse 17, And Jesse said to David, his son, Take now your brethren, and he says, what he does is take him a care package. Go see them. Verse number 18, Carry some food. Salute them. Verse 19, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with his keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array against uh, army against army and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And so here's David and what I want you to know about this is this is an ordinary event. His dad says, hey Dave, Take a care package to your brothers. Salute them. Just check out what's happening. And David's obedient. He, he does that. We're reminded again of Saul. Saul's dad loses a bunch of donkeys. He says, listen, go find them. And in these ordinary events of just being obedient, something extraordinary happens. My friend, listen to me. This is life. Don't ever get weary of the mundane. Can I tell you something? Sometimes life is boring. Get up, go to work, eat your lunch, quit work, go home, 
watch TV, go to bed, get up, go to work, eat your lunch, go home, have dinner, watch TV, go to bed, get up, go to work, right? It can be like that. I want you to tell you something. In obedience to God, God can take the ordinary things of life and as we obey Him, He can turn them into something extraordinary. He does it all the time. If I'm willing just to walk in obedience and do what He says, He will use me, He will use you for His honor and His glory. By just doing the everything days, every every deal, day, every 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 day, things of life. I'm just trying to make sure you're paying attention. All right, and that's true, so true. Verse 23. And he talked with them. Behold, this is David talking. There came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according as he said the words. And David heard him. And this is the first time David hears these words. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be. But the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And what's interesting about this is, here is King Saul. They've seen this guy for 40 days now, yelling and screaming for somebody. Saul is not going to face him, but what he is doing is this. He's looking for volunteers. Is there something crazy enough out there to face this guy? And if you are, we'll make you rich, we'll, give, we'll be free of taxes, I'll even give you my daughter to marry. And if she was good looking, it'd be a good deal, alright? I'm just trying to get rid of her. I'm going for volunteers. Verse 26. And David spake. And, and these are the first recorded words of David, okay? And this is important. This is not the first time David's ever opened his mouth, but this is the first time in Scripture that David speaks. And it's important. So often we have friends, we all have friends, who they talk all the time. Don't we? You know what I'm talking about? Every time you're together, they're talking. They're, they're always talking. Now, some of you are looking at each other now. Okay, be careful about this. All right. But, but they, they talk nonstop. And what we're prone to do with people like that is tune them out. Right? Because some of you are doing that right now. You hear me every week. It's just like, I can't. But there are some people, they don't say much. But when they do, it's worth listening to. There have been times in our Bible studies I've, I've, with our men, I've, I've sat and I've listened, guys are talking, and then someone will talk that I'm not used to hearing. And they'll say something, I'll think, man, Travis, that was profound. I mean, that was really, really good. Or small, does that, I mean, I, I heard that was really good. It was, and it makes us pay attention and listen. And there's a reason, this is David now, his first words. And, and look what his passion is. And look what is revealed about David's heart when he speaks now. Verse number 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's first two words are questions. And the first is this. Um, what's going to be done to, to the guy who takes away the reproach of Israel? He's concerned about his people and their name and the ridicule. And then he says, what will be done with this guy who is mocking the living God? 
Who does he think that he is? And David is driven by a passion for God's name. He is saying that this God ought to be taken seriously. David brings to the table a question that nobody else has been asking. David sees and assesses the situation. He sees who I think he hears who I But as he sees, and he's not seeing as man sees, he's got a passion for the God who is. And the question really is this. Doesn't having a living God make a difference? And I'd ask you the same question this morning. Doesn't having a living... I mean, you're here today... I'm here today. We're here because we sang the praises that Jesus was born, he lived, he died, he was buried, but three days later he got up. He's on the loose. And we would say as believers today, our God is alive and well. And what I'd say to you, if that's the case, and it is the case, Doesn't that make a difference how we face this life and our trials and our tragedies and our struggles? David says this makes a difference. And this living God is worth risking my life for. David is at the right starting point. He is thinking theocentric, God-centered. He sees it for what it is. He knows this God is alive. He knows this God is well. He knows this God in relationship, in covenant. He, he has this relationship. Saul didn't have it. David does. He sees the living God. Listen to me. What you think this morning about God, Tozer said, is the most important thing about him. And he's right. And not what you think in here and what you've been told in Sunday school. What you really think about God and who He is. If we really believe this morning that He is alive, it changes our perspective perspective on everything. On everything. The problem for many of us is this, and it's a tragedy, that someone would hear us talk or, or even be privy to our thoughts in times of trouble, and they would never guess that we have a living God. David knew he had a living God. David sees as God sees. It makes a difference. Verse number 28. And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when David spake to these men. And Eliab's anger was kindled. How how many firstborns this morning? You are a firstborn. Can I see your hands? A firstborn. God bless you, responsible, intelligent, firstborn people. How many babies this morning? You are a baby in your family. Hold your hands up. Yep, 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 yep. I can tell. All right? Here's the firstborn, and he sees the baby in the family, and he is ticked because he knows. Hey, David, what you, you're a punk, man. You're a punk kid. What are you doing here? You're shouting for the valley. You have no clue. No clue. Where are the little sheep that you're responsible for? What are you doing here? And Eliab is really upset. And what's funny about Eliab is this. He sounds a lot like Eliab. Here's the older brother. He's given it to David. And what David does, look at verse number 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Can I even speak? And then he ignores him and walks away. This is not a bad thing to do for a sibling when the older brother or sister goes crazy. Just walk away. 
I'm going to ignore you. i got something bigger going on here. Sometimes the right response to the older brother or sister, I hate to say it because I am one, is to walk away. Just leave. And he does. Verse 31, And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And I can see Saul now. He's thinking, there's one guy who's crazy enough. There's somebody out there that got hit in the head with a rock and, and they're going to go out there and they're going to go out against life. So this guy who's talking, go get him. Bring him to me. We'll send him out there. And David comes. Verse 32. And David said to Saul, now watch this. And remember, David is probably a teenager at this time. And this is what he says. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. And, and listen, these words are important. So, so he says, don't be afraid. You can remember that. Don't be afraid. Stash that away in your head. We're going to come back to that. But here he is and he says, don't be afraid. Don't let any man's heart fail because of him. And then the next thing he says is this. Thy servant. So I'm going to submit to you. Thy servant. I will go out and fight this Philistine. Can you imagine the audacity of this kid to say, don't be afraid, and in essence, I am going to deliver God's people. I'm going to go and be the man between. Dare I say, I'm going to be the Savior for God's people. Tuck that away. We'll come back to that. And Saul said to David, yeah, you can't do this. You're not able to fight with him, for you're a kid. And this guy's been in the octagon since he was a kid. This guy is a warrior. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and they took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And here we see a glimpse of David's faith. David is sustained in the present because of his memories of the past. Christian brother and sister, listen to me. You better start writing down what God has done in your life. Because what was once real in your life and what has happened when living God showed up, when we remember it again, it becomes real again. And David said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. The God who was faithful in the wilderness will be faithful in the valley of Allah. He's proven himself over and over again. It is not David's courage. It is not David's grit. And it's not even the idea he slings a stone. Listen, I, we're going to see this in a minute. But these stones and a sling, they are amazing. I mean, we think about, oh yeah, take a rock and a slingshot. But these stones were about two or three inches in diameter. And, and what would happen is, in the hands of a skilled warrior, they could be flung at 100 to 150 miles an hour. You get hit with that, it's a stunning victory. Okay? It really is. But David's not counting on that. David's saying, listen to me. This God, the living God, has delivered me in the past. And I'm telling you something. He's been faithful in the past. 
He will be faithful again. Again. Verse 38 through 41. Saul wants to give him his armor. And it, it's, David says, I've not tried these things. I don't want this. I'm going to go with what I know. Verse number 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David. Dave, can you come here again just for a second? Okay. Because I want you to picture this. And I just want to pull him out of the sound booth and bring him up here. That's all. Okay. Here's Goliath. For 40 days he's been yelling for a man. Give me somebody to fight with. And so now for 40 days, look what he gets. It's this. <laughs> right? And when Goliath sees this come down to fight him in the middle, he is furious. This is a punk kid. This is the best you have for me. Thanks, David. I love this still. Right? <laughs> I mean, he's incensed now. Uh, feel sorry. It's okay. Give him money if you want to afterwards. So we got <laughs> Okay. And then Goliath curses him by his gods. And this is a true conflict. It is the false gods of the Philistines versus the living God. He says, you're, what am I, my dog? That you're going to come out against me with a stick? Who do you think I am? And then he gets, I mean, really furious. Look what he says now. In, in verse 40. Let's see where he starts speaking. Verse 43. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that you come out with me with a stick? And staves, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, and, and this is going to be terrifying, remember, almost ten foot tall, saying to this kid, Hey, just that you know, when you come to me, I'm going to give your flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Now watch what he says. This day will the Lord deliver thee unto my hand, and I will smite thee, and I'm going to take your head from thee. I'm taking off your head, dude. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And we'll, we'll talk more about this, but David says, I want you to know something. I'm going to kill you. And when I do, the entire world will know that there's a God in Israel. Verse number 48. And it came to pass, when the Philistine rose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Now listen to me. Um, the whole chapter has been building up to this conflict. I mean, I mean we're, we're geared for this whole huge battle. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And I want you to see how fast this is over with. So David runs toward him. He runs toward David. Verse number 49. And David put his hand in his bag, took thence a stone, and slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. And it's done. 
It's finished. All the, you know, the yelling and the screaming and the braggadocious and the, the posturing and I'm going to kill you and take your head off and give me a man within a verse. The kid picks a stone, slings it. God directs it to this boy's forehead, maybe his temple, at 100 to 150 miles an hour, and he's dead. Kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? I mean, this is the enemy of God. He's done. Then David doesn't ask permission, verse 50 to 51. He just takes his sword from Goliath. He didn't have one. And he does exactly what he said he would do. He takes his head from his shoulders. And the story ends. And David delivers God's people. And there's a great victory. Let me give you three lessons as we close this morning. And, and I have to say to you, uh, the lessons all have David's name, all three of them, but I, want, I use it because it was easy, David's faith, David's fight, and David's future. But I'm using them. I want to go past that, and I think you'll see it. This is not about David. It's about God. Number one, I want you to see David's faith. David trusted in the living God. And that makes all the difference. The Lord was faithful, whether it was among sheep or on the front lines. He gave victory to David, not because of David being strong and tall and a warrior. He gave victory to David because David was inadequate. This scenario is impossible. And God, once again, finds the weakness of his servants and he uses those servants to bring himself Glory and honor and praise. Why? Because no kid is taking down a giant unless he has the living God on his side. And God is glorified. He's glorified. God is always glorified in our weakness. This was never about David. It was a God who is adequate in David's weakness. That's David's faith. It was never about him. And don't get that mixed. Don't, don't, and, 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 yeah, right. There are lessons of courage and faith. But listen, don't miss the point here. This is not about David. It's about David's faith in the living God of heaven. David's faith. David's fight. His fight. He was driven by a passion for God's name. David said, I'm doing this so that you Philistines know, the guys behind me know, and the whole world knows that there's a living God. That was his passion. And he said, I'm willing to risk my life for this. Christian believer this morning. What's your passion? What, what are you fighting for? Are you fighting for your own people? Are you fighting for your own way? Are you fighting to make a name for yourself? Not David. David said, listen, this God is worthy. This God is glorious. This God is worth risking my life. And I will live my life in such a way that when people see my works, they will glorify the God of heaven. What are we living for, man? Are you willing this morning to take a risk for God? And I'm not talking today about being some freaky, weird, okay, I take my big family Bible to work, I give everybody a hard time, and I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking taking a risk in this world to say, wait a minute, I serve and know the living God, and I'm willing to be different to take a risk, to put myself out there for him. Maybe by being honest. Maybe going to work and working hard all day long whether the boss is there or not. Contrary to what our world does. Maybe being a young person of moral integrity in a sexualized world and saying, wait a minute, 
I'm going to wait. I know God's plan and God's purpose. That's what I'm He's willing to risk his life for the living God. He's willing to take challenges. He's willing to march to a different drum. He's willing to be a man of integrity, a woman of integrity. What? That was David's fight. He wanted the world to know this God. Isn't, isn't that our calling? That by our lives, Matthew tells us, Christ speaking, men may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That was David's fight. It should be our fight. And finally this morning, I want you to see David's future. We'll look at a moment at Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. But in the story of David, it is part of the indispensable background of the gospel. And what we have done in our study from the beginning, Genesis, as we work our way through, is to see there's one story. It's one story, man. It's a story of a God who loved his fallen creation enough to pursue that. And making a promise back in Genesis 3 to say, listen to me, I will someday come and deliver my people. You cannot read the story of David, you cannot read the Bible, especially the story of David, without getting the point. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1 this morning. You'll see it here behind me. This is how the New Testament starts. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's all about Jesus. And David shows us a beautiful picture of this Christ. And some of you are thinking, yeah, Pastor, I, yeah, I'm thinking back. You said something because your mind wanders. said, you told us to file away something earlier about what David said to Saul, and now you forgot about it. We're almost done, and you blew it again. No, I didn't. Luke chapter 2. Remember David's words? He says, don't be afraid. I'm going to deliver you. Now watch this connection with David's great, 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 great grandson. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in carnal flesh. This is um, how the angels present the Lord's coming. And the angel said unto him, Fear not! Don't be afraid! I bring you great good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Don't be afraid. Something good's happening. Verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It's one story, my friend. I'm going to this morning. When you look at the story of David and Goliath this morning, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that we have a champion. We have a hero. We have one who stood in between. Suspended between heaven and earth. And on the cross of Calvary, he bore the wrath of Almighty God against sin. It was poured on his head. And this hero, he did come. And yes, his heel was bruised. But in that moment, he crushed the head of the serpent. And he has given this morning victory over the greatest enemy, which is death. 
It's Jesus Christ the Lord. And this morning, for those of us who know Him, listen to me, this is the living God. He died. He was buried. He rose again for our justification. He's exalted now. And He's been given a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God. That's our Savior. And this morning, I'm telling you something. There are risks in life. Life is risky. Coming to church is risky. We take risks all the time. But the risk that you will never worry about is when you risk it all for Him. He's worth living for. He's worth risking for. He's a living God. And this morning, my friend, if you don't know Him, you must know Him. He is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. In love, He is calling you. He has made a way of escape. He has defeated the greatest enemy you will ever face. And that is that. And today, He holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And through faith and repentance today, you can know Him. I don't know of a better story, my friend. I don't know of a better story. And the great thing about this story is, true. It's true. David and Goliath. Yeah, great story. Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest story. Let's have a word of prayer. I know a lot's in there today. I get it. But I got to tell you something. Doesn't it just show again? I mean, the, the beauty of the Word of God, Lord Jesus Christ, and who He is. And so this morning, I, I just encourage you if you know Christ, listen to me. Understand, He is the living God. He's worth risking your life for. And this morning, if you don't know Him, may we today come know Him, repent, believe, talk to somebody here. We'll take a Bible. So you're from God's Word, how you can know the Savior. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our hero, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live a life that brings you honor and glory, not for ourselves, not for our kingdom, but for yours. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.